Cuca College bears no responsibility for and makes no contribution to the content of this podcast. All unique intellectual property herein is exclusively created and owned by Melissa Cohen. All opinions implied or expressed herein are exclusively those of Melissa Cohen and do not represent the opinions or practices of Cuca College. My name is Melissa Cohen and I'm a psychology major at Cuca College. Mental health awareness is something I'm deeply passionate about and something I feel is extremely important. I've been working with volunteer groups such as the National Alliance on Mental Illness to advocate how we as a society can better the lives of people who are affected by mental illness. So when I started to hear about reoccurring instances of police violence towards people suffering with mental illness, I knew I could not just sit back and continue to listen. The cases I heard about were continuously getting closer to home until it happened. I decided then to put all my effort into researching how I could bring as much attention as possible to the injustices happening. I cannot single-handedly solve police brutality, but if I can persuade people to come together on this premise, then we can make a difference. If we do not work to stop this, it will continue to happen. Even though you would think these situations would not occur in your community or city, I remember thinking the same thing. Police violence happens all over the nation, but the change can start here. Now, I'm sure all of you have heard recent talk of people demanding police reform. The idea is nothing new. I want to preface this by saying I am not trying to demonize the police department. Yes, the police system is not perfect, but that is an entirely different fight that I am not going to fully address today. Today, I want to discuss the concept of defunding the police and explain a little of what that really means. There are a lot of misconceptions around this idea. Many believe that it relates to getting rid of the police institution, but that is not true. Abolition is the word many are referring to when they think of reform. Abolition is the act of uprooting the whole system we formerly believed in. However, defunding the police and abolishing them are two very different things. The main similarity is that they both fall under the umbrella of ways we can reform the system. Now let me explain what defunding the police really means. In simple terms, it is reallocating a percent of funding from the police department to other parts of the community, such as education, social services, and healthcare. This has shown to have great potential to be beneficial all around the nation. According to the Wall Street Journal, this reallocation is beneficial because it lowers the possibility of the situation escalating, as has been demonstrated in Eugene, Oregon. This also allows the police department not to have full responsibility for every single call they receive. Education would also form a level of prevention from certain situations happening. I'm bringing awareness to this issue because I believe the way mental health cases have been handled is unacceptable. I've strived to be an advocate for those who do not have a voice and cannot stand up for themselves. With that being said, I cannot pretend that the police have been the best solution for mental health calls. According to crime and delinquency, law enforcement officers, however, often feel inadequately equipped or supported to deal with the crises involving people with mental illness and many times become frustrated in the time-consuming attempt to provide them access to professional assistance. This seems like quite a big problem in hindsight, does it not? Whilst realizing this is an issue, nothing substantial has been done to combat it. The same source goes to mention that around 46% of the agencies reported having a specialized response to mentally ill people in crisis. Considering that encounters between the police and people with mental illness are common and make up 7-10% of their calls, this number should definitely be higher. Not having the correct training and knowledge about mental illnesses would leave anyone wondering how to appropriately handle the situation. However, ignorant bliss cannot last. There has been one too many times where cases of mental health crises have resulted in excessive force or death. An example that hits close to home is the case of Daniel Prude. 
This happened in my hometown of Rochester, New York, and I could not be more devastated when the news came to light. Daniel Prude was just a man going through the symptoms of a mental health crisis. He was naked and clearly needed assistance, which is where the police came in. This only escalated the situation. In many people's mind, especially people of color or people suffering with mental illness, the police being there makes them think they did something wrong. Prude ended up with a spit hood over his head as he was pinned to the pavement. The police officer held him down for two minutes and 15 seconds. Afterwards, the officer realized he had liquid coming from his mouth and noticed he was unresponsive. A medical team was then called to try and resuscitate him. Unfortunately, they had no luck and later declared him brain dead. The Rochester Police Department knew they had acted wrongly due to the fact that they refused to release the video of the incident. They knew it would show that they were at fault in some way or another. This event happened in March of 2020 and was not publicly brought forward until September. However, this obviously made things worse when the case was uncovered. Knowing that the police department was allowed to withhold this information due to the fear of the legal repercussions made people question the whole department's credibility. People took to social media to declare their shock and distress around the death of Daniel Prude. Sean King, a writer and civil rights activist, made a post stating, Police and prosecutors have worked for six months to make sure nobody ever saw this video, and it clearly contradicts every single report they issued on the case. This footage being uncovered just mere months after George Floyd's death sparked another uprising of protests, especially in Rochester. The worst part of this was the lack of responsibility taken by the police department. They repeatedly denied they did anything wrong and denied their part in his death. A deputy Rochester police chief said, We certainly do not want people to misinterpret the officer's actions and conflate this incident with the, any recent killings of unarmed black men by law enforcement nationally. That would simply be a false narrative and can create animosity and potentially violent blowback in this community as a result. For months, the police department had tried to play off that Prude had overdosed on PCP. The Monroe County Medical Examiner had ruled his death a homicide and said it was due to asphyxiation, which means he died because of the police putting that immense amount of force up upon him. Prude's autopsy report mentioned that excited delirium was a contributing factor in his death. According to the Journal of Science and Medicine, proponents claim that excited delirium represents a potentially fatal clinical constellation that arises in the context of drug use, autonomic hyperactivity, and police custody. The same diagnosis has been invoked to explain dozens of deaths at the hands of police and was even considered part of the defense of the officer who killed George Floyd. Due to this, excited delirium is not a diagnosis that is widely accepted by the medical community. Medical professionals are actively trying to stop this from passing as an objective diagnosis. You think just because it happens elsewhere does not mean that injustice would occur right in your own backyard. But this is what encourages me to speak further about this. We cannot just turn our cheek to these problems because as much as you try to believe it won't happen again, it will unless we do something about it. I know this because I thought the Rochester Police Department had learned from their mistakes after Daniel Prude's death. Lovely Warren, the mayor of Rochester, suspended the seven officers, fired the police chief, and suspended several city staff members shortly after the revelations. The mayor had also submitted a proposal for changes within the police force. However, in February of this year, a nine-year-old who was said to be suicidal was pepper sprayed. Nothing has changed since the death of Janelle Prude. There was no actual reform done. Mayor Lovely Warren left empty promises saying she hoped to and aspired to see a change. But according to civil rights attorney Katie McCarthy, when given, given an opportunity to reimagine and when confronted with these issues on the world stage, came up with nothing. 
The mayor's own plan didn't even call for the termination of officers with known ties to white supremacist groups. This gives evidence as to why the way mental health calls are responded to are no coincidence. There's a clear correlation between lack of training and these unfortunate situations. Without reform and continuing to hold Rochester accountable, nothing will change. However, I do not believe this is all a lost cause. This is something I believe can be fixed with the right resources. This is where a potential solution comes in. Psychiatrists from the University of California believe that police should not always be first responders, especially in mental health cases. According to the Clinical Psychiatry News, recognition by governments, the public, and police themselves that officers should not be on the front lines for every emergency. We must diversify our first responders. Psychiatry should hear this call and be ready. This would help alleviate the immense pressure felt by the police department and leave them to deal with more urgent crime calls. The police would be involved in mental health calls only as a backup if the person was deemed dangerous in any sort of way. Also, by not having the police, the person in crisis is less likely to feel threatened. Oftentimes, the police presence makes people feel uneasy and like they're being targeted. When someone is already in distress, feeling fearful and threatened only worsens the situation at hand. Mental health professionals would be able to calmly speak to these people without making them think they did something wrong. This brings up the thought of how we, perhaps unintentionally, criminalize mental illness. To the average person, this probably sounds a bit crazy, but it actually isn't when you hear the facts. According to the Crime and Delinquency publication, as a result of these police's frustration towards mental health cases, officers frequently, although not usually, resort to arrest to dispose of the case, even for relatively minor offenses, such as trespassing, disorderly conduct, or other non-serious misdemeanors. The national result of this trend is that approximately 685,000 people with severe mental illness are admitted to U.S. jails every year. This means that nationally there are more people with severe mental illness in U.S. jails than in state psychiatric hospitals. When someone is in the midst of a mental health crisis, they are still considered to be going through a health crisis. So why don't we treat it as such? Instead of bringing in medical teams and ambulances, we bring in police. We as a society continue enforcing the narrative that people dealing with a mental illness are dangerous. While obviously there have been times when the person in crisis will have a weapon and might be dangerous, this is not the norm. First responders should treat these situations case by case and not generalize. Generalizations are often what lead to harmful mentalities and stigmas. Stigmas have been known to prevent people with mental illness from getting help. So by educating our peers to have a different perspective, we could potentially be preventing mental health crises. If people are more willing to seek help, I think that would have a big impact on society. But now you may be wondering how this whole defunding thing would really work out. That is an entirely valid question that I have a good answer for. Whilst researching, I found a place in Oregon that has implemented an amazing mental health crisis response team. It's called Crisis Assistance Helping Out on the Streets, or CAHOOTS for short. It has been around for 31 years and has been incredibly successful. Each team consists of an experienced crisis worker and a medic. Instead of projecting their authority like the police do, they speak calmly with inviting body language. This often allows the crisis team to hear out the problems a person is having and successfully talk them down. The people working with CAHOOTS often admit that people just need someone to listen to them. Out of the thousands of cases they have gotten, they have only needed police backup three times. I think this goes to show that this crisis team in particular has been extremely successful in de-escalating these situations. However, CAHOOTS does not just offer assistance with mental health crises. CAHOOTS offers a 
range of services, including conflict resolution and mediation, grief and loss, substance abuse, housing crises, first aid and non-emergency medical care, resource connection and referrals, and transportation to services. The program also costs a fraction of what the police department's yearly budget is. The intervention program costs the city around 800000 plus the cost for vehicles compared to the police department's budget of $58 million. There does not seem to be many disadvantages that come out of this. Even if this type of program does not solve all of the problems surrounding unnecessary police violence, it is a step in the right direction. Mayor Bill de Blasio of New York City seems to agree with this logic as well. In November of 2020, he announced his plan to have a mental health team dispatched through 911 in two high-need communities. This new program was actually modeled off of CAHOOTS. This sparked talk of implementing this program in other big cities such as Albuquerque, Denver, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. This is a great start, but we should continue to talk about implementing this program nationwide, including smaller communities. This program alone will not change everything. Individual communities need to recognize they have a role in this as well. Accessibility of services plays a big part in preventing crises. If there are good resources and support systems for people suffering with mental illness, they are less likely to reach a crisis point when out on the street. You might be asking yourself how you can help in this situation. Honestly, the best thing you can do is talk. Keep talking to your friends, family, anyone. Spreading the knowledge of what defunding the police is and how it can help is vital. Many people are against the idea just because they are not informed. There are so many incredible resources available where anyone's concerns and misconceptions can be answered. Some people just need the initial push to get there. In the meantime, you can also help provide more services in your community. Volunteer services are extremely valuable, especially in low-income communities. Counseling services, help hotlines, mental health education, and support groups make all the difference. If you communicate your concerns to your respective officials, we can create change throughout New York and nationwide. Officials need to know that there would be support for this and that there is research showing it is effective. People need to demand they implement this. Our systems can be fixed. It all starts with you.